Welcome everyone to another Legends of Surgery podcast. I'm David Sigmund, your host for this episode. Today we're going to be discussing Dr. Alexander Thomas Augusta. Dr. Augusta was a surgeon for the Northern Army in the American Civil War, the first African-American to become a surgeon for the Northern Army, the first African-American professor of medicine in the United States, and, as you may have guessed from his accomplishments in the era he lived in, a major civil rights activist. Dr. Augusta was born in Norfolk, Virginia in 1825. He was born a free man, although slavery was obviously still a key part of the society and economy of Virginia at the time, as well as the entire American South, which would influence every aspect of his life. As a young man, he learned to read and write, but had to be taught in secret by a Mr. Daniel Payne, an African-American gentleman who himself would go on to become bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church and president of Wilberforce University in Ohio. Augusta had to learn to read and write in secret as it was illegal for African-Americans to do so in Virginia due to laws enacted in 1831 after a slave rebellion by Nat Turner. Augusta then moved to Baltimore where he continued to study and supported himself by being a barber. He then moved to Philadelphia and applied to the School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, but was denied acceptance due to quote-unquote insufficient preparation. Despite this denial, he was impressive enough that a University of Pennsylvania professor who was present at his interviews, Dr. William Gibson, took Augusta on as a student and tutored him privately. Augusta eventually moved back to Baltimore, where he married his wife, a Native American woman by the name of Mary Burgoyne. Determined to become a surgeon, Augusta realized he needed money to fund his education and went to California with his new wife to make money in gold prospecting, as well as continuing to support himself as a barber. Augusta and Burgoyne made a great deal of money in San Francisco, enough to support his education, and then they moved back to Philadelphia before realizing that Augusta was going to face a great deal of difficulty getting a true medical education in the United States, so they moved to Toronto, a very diverse city where many African Americans moved from the United States during that era for greater opportunities and less prejudice, with Augusta having to say, I was compelled to leave my native country and come on account of prejudice against color for the purpose of obtaining a knowledge of my profession. In Toronto, Augusta was accepted to study medicine at the Trinity College of the University of Toronto. While a medical student, he also ran an apothecary, or as we would call it now, a pharmacy, where he sold not only medicines, but perfumes and dyes, and also advertised that he was able to place leeches, fill prescriptions, and even pull out teeth if necessary. Meanwhile, his wife owned and operated a shop selling luxury goods and dresses that was also quite successful. In 1856, Augusta earned his degree in medicine from the University of Toronto, with Dr. John McCall, the president of the college at the time, describing the newly minted Dr. Augusta as one of my most brilliant students. Augusta set up a successful medical practice in Toronto, treating both white and black patients, and also worked at the Toronto General Hospital, as well as at the city poorhouse. Augusta was also a prominent voice in the black community there, becoming president of the Association for the Education of the Colored People of Canada, which helped get money, supplies, and books for young blacks in Canada trying to have a greater education. He also found places for opponents of slavery visiting from the United States to give speeches, opposed politicians who espoused racist views himself, and generally fought against racism in all of its forms. In fact, Dr. Augusta actually canceled his membership in a church upon discovering that its members was black only to demonstrate the depths of his commitment against racism and segregation. While Dr. Augusta was living a successful and accomplished life in Toronto, he nevertheless could not forget the country of his birth, especially as the United States drifted closer and closer to civil war. 
While he did not return right after the outbreak of civil war, on the 1st of January in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln announced his Emancipation Proclamation, not only declaring his intention to free all slaves in the Confederacy once it was captured, but also encouraging African Americans to list in the Northern Army. Dr. Augusta wrote a letter to President Lincoln asking to work as a doctor for the so-called colored regiments, that is, regiments of African American soldiers that were being newly formed. Lincoln forwarded his letter to the Army Medical Board, which was having trouble finding surgeons who would be willing to treat African-American soldiers. His request was at first denied for two reasons. One was that African-American units still had white commanders, and the board did not think white officers would be willing to have medical care provided by an African-American. And the second was because Augusta had been in Canada for long enough to become a citizen there. Canada did not become an independent country from the United Kingdom until 1867, and therefore Augusta was technically a British subject. Since Britain was neutral in the American Civil War, there was concern that enlisting him in the military might violate international law. However, since many British citizens were serving in various capacities for both sides in the war, Augusta realized the primary issue was racism. In his typical tenacious manner, Augusta would not stand for this and traveled to Washington, D.C. to make his case in person. There, Augusta made an impassioned case to military officials to be allowed to join the army. Augusta was granted his witch and became the first African-American to be commissioned as a medical officer in the Northern Army. While his speech certainly played a role in his acceptance, the Army Board was also now desperate for doctors willing to treat African-American soldiers, as the rate of disease and death in these units was more than twice that of white units, due primarily to substandard medical care. He was invited to sit for the American medical examinations in April of 1863, passed them, and was commissioned as an officer in the Army as a major. instantly making him the highest-ranking African-American soldier. This position also brought him both fame and infamy. Two days after he became an officer, he went to a church to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the freeing of all slaves in Washington, D.C. Upon appearing in his full military officer's uniform, the congregation broke into applause and cheering. He had a similar reception the first time he appeared before the first two African-American companies during a military review, as he was the first African-American officer they had ever seen. But being the first of anything is always accompanied by controversy, and in May of that year, while on a train in Baltimore, a teenager came up to Augusta and started swearing at him as well as trying to tear his rank markings off his uniform in an overt display of racism. When Augusta grabbed the boy to stop him, a group of several thugs accosted him. Fortunately, the military police on the train came to his rescue and assured his protection for the rest of the trip, but Augusta was never one to let an injustice stand, saying, I was determined to have the parties punished knowing full well that the same thing might occur again unless a stop was put to it at once. I therefore went up to the provost marshal's office with one of the guards and reported the facts. The commanding officer he reported to was outraged by this incident and sent Augusta back with another officer to find and arrest the perpetrators. They found one of them and apprehended him, but couldn't find any others. They were about to bring their captive to the police when a man suddenly ran out of a store and attacked Augusta. Capturing this man as well, although it was unclear whether he was just a friend of the first captive or one of the original thugs that attacked our protagonist, Augusta and his escort then proceeded to the police station. Finishing his mission, Augusta and his escort, which now included several police officers as they realized trouble was brewing, proceeded back to the train station where an angry mob had started to gather. Upon seeing Augusta, the mob immediately attacked, punching him in the face and chanting that he should be lynched. The police guarding him had to draw their guns to protect him and disperse the crowd, allowing Augusta to take his train ride back to his base. 
Augusta was nevertheless undeterred by these attacks and wanted to bring attention to the injustice he faced, writing a letter about the violence he faced while in military uniform of his country. His letter was published in newspapers across the United States with him declaring, My position as an officer of the United States entitles me to wear the insignia of my office, and if I am either afraid or ashamed to wear them anywhere, I am not fit to hold my commission, and should resign it at once. Getting back to his military career, his first position was as the regimental surgeon for the 7th Infantry Regiment of the United States Colored Troops in Maryland. Unfortunately, when he joined his regiment, several white surgeons objected to having a black man as their superior officer. They wrote their own officer to President Lincoln, asking to end Dr. Augusta's appointment, demanding that this unexpected and unusual and most unpleasant relationship in which we have been placed must in some way be terminated. While the whole medical staff supported his removal, the brigadier commanding general for the unit was strongly against it, stating, Sergeant Augusta has worked indefatigably for us. Forced to choose between a single African-American surgeon for the black troops or a group of white surgeons that had been painstakingly gathered for their willingness to treat black troops, the army decided to reassign Dr. Augusta. He therefore became the chief surgeon and physician at the Freedman and Contraband Hospital in Washington, D.C. As an aside, the reason it was called the Contraband Hospital is that former slaves were referred to as contraband at the time. The reason the term contraband was used has an interesting backstory. At a town in Virginia called Hampton Roads, shortly after the start of the American Civil War, three slaves escaped to the northern side and the Confederate general demanded their return as his property. But the northern general refused, saying that since the south had seceded, they were a foreign power and he was under no obligation to return any contraband property. Hence the name. This would actually generate a great deal of controversy since it amounted to recognizing the Confederate States as a foreign power rather than plain rebels, which would have far-reaching political implications, as well as validating some of the political arguments in favor of slavery at the time by declaring the slaves property rather than people. But let's get back to Dr. Augusta. While Dr. Augusta's reassignment was motivated by abhorrent racism, he had the last laugh as usual, as his reassignment made him the first African-American to be chief of a hospital making it yet another barrier he had crashed through. His time there, however, was short, as he was reassigned in 1864 to a base in Baltimore, where he examined new African-American recruits to ensure they were fit enough for military service. But unfortunately, Dr. Augusta continued to face many other discriminatory incidents during his time in the military. African-American privates were paid $7 a month at the time, whereas white privates were paid almost double at $13 a month. Augusta was initially paid $169 a month, which was the normal pay for officers of his rank. However, during his time in Baltimore, the paymaster for his unit suddenly said Augusta would be paid no more than $7 a month since he was African-American. Dr. Augusta then joined other African-American soldiers in protesting the unequal pay, eventually appealing to the chairman of the United States Senate Committee on Military Affairs, Senator Henry Wilson of Massachusetts. Senator Wilson quickly ensured that Dr. Augusta received his correct pay as an officer, and in June of 1864, Congress passed legislation ensuring all soldiers were paid equally for their rank, rather than based on their skin color. In 1864, he had another incident on public transportation due to his race, this time trying to board a streetcar in Washington, D.C. while it was raining. While in full uniform, he went to the covered part of the streetcar in order to get out of the rain, but was told it was for whites only and that he was only allowed to sit in the covered part in front. When Dr. Augusta refused, he was forcibly thrown off by the conductor of the streetcar, which then rode off, leaving him in the rain. 
Once again, Dr. Augusta had to stand up for himself as well as for civil rights. He wrote a severe letter to the Judge Advocate of Washington, D.C., which was forwarded to Massachusetts' other senator, Charles Sumner. Quick aside about Senator Sumner, he was an outspoken opponent of slavery and even more outspoken proponent for civil rights. He was so outspoken, even before the Civil War, that he was attacked by a South Carolinian congressman by the name of Preston Brooks over his statements. Brooks attacked Sumner in the Senate chambers with a hickory cane and beat him so severely that Sumner took three years to fully recover and return to the Senate. For the rest of his life, Sumner would have symptoms consistent with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. As one might expect, Sumner was beyond outraged when he heard of how Augusta had been thrown off the streetcar, saying to the U.S. Senate, an officer of the United States with the commission of major, with the uniform of the United States, has been pushed off one of these cars on Pennsylvania Avenue by the conductor for no other offense than he was black. Sumner continued, This is worse for our country at this moment than a defeat in battle. It makes our cause abroad enemies and sows distrust. This incident, as well as the letter by Augusta and subsequent speech by Sumner, played a pivotal role in the approvals of laws in 1865 forbidding discrimination against streetcar passengers in Washington, D.C. The streetcar incident even made it into papers in the Southern Confederacy, with one of the newspapers saying, The debates in Congress show very clearly and conclusively the mission of the war, to enforce Negro equality, which is something the South considered a less than desirable outcome to pursue. Despite these terrible incidents, Dr. Augusta continued to serve honorably, being promoted to lieutenant colonel a month before the war ended. As with most things in his life, the honor was not properly conveyed, as the promotion was by brevet, which means it was only an honorary rank, and therefore he got no increase in pay or command. With the Civil War ending in 1865, Augusta retired from the military and went to work for the Freedmen's Bureau, a new government organization which provided food, clothing, medical care, legal aid, and education to the newly freed slaves in the war-ravaged South. He then became the chief surgeon and physician at the Freedmen's Bureau Hospital in Savannah, Georgia, before returning to Washington, D.C. in 1867. In 1868, Howard University opened as one of the first institutions of higher learning dedicated to the education of African Americans. Dr. Augusta applied for a position as a faculty member in the medical department and was promptly accepted making him the first African-American to teach medicine at the university level. He eventually rose to dean of the medical department while still working as a practicing physician. As with every other point in his life, Dr. Augusta could not just sit back and enjoy his accomplishments, but had to fight for respect at every turn. When the United States slipped into recession in 1873, Howard lost a significant amount of funding, and Augusta and other faculty members continued to teach, but for minimal or no pay. He and his faculty member, fellow faculty members were also denied membership in the Medical Society of the District of Columbia, an all-white organization at the time. When they appealed the decision to the American Medical Association, the AMA sided with the Society of the District of Columbia out of fear of upsetting other regional medical societies, almost all of which refused memberships to blacks. Therefore, Augusta and several other noted African-American physicians eventually formed the National Medical Society in 1895, which was an organization that opened its membership to any physician, regardless of the color of their skin. In 1869, Howard University gave Augusta an honorary degree of medical doctor, making him the first African-American in the United States to be given an honorary degree. Dr. Augusta died in Washington, D.C. in 1890, 
and was buried at the Arlington National Cemetery, the first African-American to be buried there. Thus ended the remarkable story of Dr. Alexander Thomas Augusta, who compiled an amazing array of firsts, including, and I'll have to take a deep breath here, first African-American surgeon in the Army, first African-American major in the U.S. Army, first African-American lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, the first African-American director of a hospital in the United States, the first African-American faculty member of a medical school in the United States, and, as just mentioned, the first African-American to be awarded an honorary degree in the United States. Dr. Augusta's tireless efforts as a physician and civil rights activist allowed him to break all of these barriers and become a legend of surgery. That wraps up this episode of Legends of Surgery. I hope this episode inspires our listeners to the heights that Dr. Augusta strove for and that this was an enjoyable listening experience. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave comments there or follow us on Twitter at Surgery Legends. Like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this podcast or ideas for future episodes. Thanks for listening.